thankful for your faithfulness. We're so thankful that your track record is absolutely perfect. And that we can have a hope today that as we come into your presence and we come to worship, that we can rely on your faithfulness. And so, Lord, with whatever we're facing today, we just pray that you would work in and through the power of your spirit, that you would be faithful again right here in this place, right here in the midst of of lives. Lord, you are so good. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Be seated. Well, this is week number three of our series, Calling All Peacemakers. And uh, in the bulletin uh, each week during this series, there is some study notes and we're, uh, for you to use to take home because we're talking about a lot. We're looking at not just one particular scripture, but in all of the ways that scripture speaks into the themes of what does it mean to uh, follow in the peace of Christ? What does it mean to have that in your life and your heart? What does it mean to make that a fruit of who you are? And uh, so that's there for you to, to take a look at. Abbreviations can be confusing. You just think of, uh, you think of people who, um, who don't live in our country and, and are not familiar with uh, traffic signs. In fact, I was thinking, and I'm glad I'll say this while he's not in here, uh, my son Harley uh, took a, a, a girl from Spain to homecoming last night. And I asked, you know, does she drive? And like, well, no, she doesn't drive. And I, and I got to thinking about, about that in this context, that, that sometimes, you know, our rules are different than in other places. And imagine that she's driving down the street and she sees this sign that's forbidding U-turns. There's an example of it. should be on your screen. There it is. Um, now, you and I, we look at that and we understand it says, no, you know, U-turns. Don't go like this. Don't go the other direction. I'm just wondering if somebody from another culture might look at that sign and might interpret the U to mean Y-O-U. And instead, that sign would say, hey, no, U, turn. And all of a sudden, this could lead to all kinds of chaos, depending on the emphasis that people will use. I don't know, Darren, maybe somebody might try that sometime. They, they read the sign a little different along the way. We see a similar kind of difference when we look at the meaning and emphasis in Scripture, the, the, the main passage we're looking at today, which is in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 15. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond, Thanks be God. You can be seated. Imagine how this man was thinking, what he was thinking as he approaches Jesus. Um, what was he focused on? Where does he place the emphasis in his demand for justice? Now, when you just read through that scripture, it doesn't, when you read scripture, it doesn't give you the tone of the man's voice. It doesn't give you the inflection that he's using. But, but I think we hear it, right? I mean, I think it's really clear. It's really clear that, that, that the man is saying, teacher, tell my no good, rotten, good-for-nothing brother 
to divide the inheritance with me. The sinful nature that we're born with gives us an inclination to judge critically rather than charitably. We in our fallen humanness have this, have this leaning to look at people more critically rather than with an eye of grace. And as a result, whenever we experience conflict in our relationships, our natural reaction is to blame others and to focus on their wrongs. The tendency is as old as the world. When God confronts Adam in Genesis 3, Adam punts it to Eve really fast. Eve, she punts it on to the snake. Genesis 37, we see how Joseph's brothers fanned sibling jealousy into a murderous plot because they're so concentrating on, on, on this, this younger brother and how he offends them. 1 Samuel 18 and 19, King Saul is obsessed with David, and he repeatedly blames David for their estrangement. This tendency to blame others for conflict is so natural, we don't need to train our kids how to do it. For as soon as they can begin to talk, as soon as they can begin to mouth simple words, they say things like, she hit me first, he took it first, he did it too. And as we get older, we like to think that we get better. But I would say we just disguise it better. We try not to be so obvious as we're blaming others for our problems, but, but our natural tendency is still there. And if we're in conflict, we ignore or pass quickly over our own deficiencies, and we make a really great list of what others have done wrong. Years ago, I was with a, a couple in counseling, and, and they were seeking help for their, their marriage. They wanted to work on their relationship. But they were just kind of at an impasse. And so we sat down together, and, and I asked the husband, said, what, what would it take for you to do differently to, to see this impasse uh, change? He said, well, I need to listen more. Well, that's pretty good. I said, well, what would it take for your wife to do differently? He had more than one thing. He had a list of six. And not only did he have a list of six, each one of them had a really long story that said how she was deficient in this area. And he had all kinds of passion to tell me the story. And he finished, and I said, well, that sounds like it's good. Let's, let's, let's schedule a time for next week. We'll, let's go home. He says, let's go home. I said, yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, maybe we could meet again next week. He says, we haven't done anything. I said, well, when you're ready to share your deficiencies with the same passion you share your wife's deficiencies, then maybe... We could do something about it. You don't need me to tell you. I don't think you need me to tell you. If, this, if it is, this might be news to you. We are in campaign season. Might be news to some of you who live under a rock somewhere. Whether it's local, whether it's regional, whether it's national, this is the thing that always amazes me about campaigns. One of many things that amazes me. All the name-calling, all of the blaming, all of the things back and forth. And, and then finally, some reporter will get to the candidate and say, um, is this what you believe about your opponent? This is what your people said? And, and the candidate will say, oh, no, I don't believe that. No, that's got to be some overzealous campaign worker. I, I wouldn't say anything like that. It's not my fault. See, our inclination to blame others for our problems and focus on their behavior is so ingrained in our culture. Soap operas and political campaigns and Jerry Springer, they gain their most avid audiences when people are passionately making accusations at each other. 
Blaming others for conflict can do something far worse than just generating a legal bill. You look back at the text and notice how Jesus responds to the man's focus on the behavior. Jesus says to him, watch out. Now, it's interesting. I wish we had time to unpack the whole passage. We don't today. Jesus doesn't even get involved in it. He doesn't say, yeah, he's right, yeah, he's wrong. That's a whole discussion that we could have. That's not what Jesus is after. He kind of turns it on him. He says, watch out. Our Lord gives this emphatic warning that there is great danger when we focus on others' issues and ignore our own. Jesus knew that the blame game always makes conflict worse. It takes our, our eyes off our own contribution to the conflict. It blinds us to the steps that will promote reconciliation. Worse yet, when we dwell on someone else's behavior, we escalate it. We attack. And after a while, more people listen. And people began to listen, and there begins to be bystanders. And then bystanders turn into to, to people who take sides. And this divides countless families and churches and ministries and, and businesses and communities every year. And sometimes the very issue that, that was at the heart of it all is forgotten because now it just becomes about the pride of the fight. Blaming others also causes us to look for ways to exaggerate somebody else's wrongs while ignoring any virtue they may have. As these feelings grow in our heart, we can be consumed by them. We can become so bitter towards others, we can't even, we can't even see the positive that we used to see them in them. Psalm 73 warns this. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. It's a, it's a passage that's hard for us to hear because we recognize that when our spirit is, is so embittered, there can become a time that we can't even see the goodness in someone. No wonder Jesus says, hey, watch out. But thank God it doesn't stop with just watch out. Jesus goes on and graciously says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. With this brief warning, Jesus is teaching us that we can change if we will take a U-Y-O-U turn. You see, Jesus, once again, doesn't get involved in this. He could. He could talk about this issue of the older brother. That isn't where he goes. He understands that what's motivating the younger brother is not some sense of fairness. It's some sense of greed, and Jesus gets right to the heart of it. He just goes right, he just gets right in the midst of it. Because a lot of times the things that cause our conflict, there's something else that's deeper there. There's something else that we're holding on to. And Jesus knows that driving straight ahead and emphasizing another person's wrong makes conflict worse. So he commands us to turn around. Take a look at yourself. You should look at yourself. You should look in the mirror. You have contributed to this problem. Turn aside from blaming. Take a road of repentance and confession. It's interesting that without even trying to settle, Jesus is trying to help him come to terms with his own issues. See, the fastest road to reconciliation is confession. And that's hard. I warned you when we started this whole thing that if we're going to really take Jesus' words seriously, it will be hard. Because we can just kind of blow them off. Or if we're going to take them seriously, it's hard. The fastest road to repentance is often confession. Jesus says something similar 
In a passage we looked at last week, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, you might remember the passage. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In his great love for us, Jesus is showing us the way that can turn conflicts around. Instead of indulging our habit of putting an emphasis on other people's wrongs and all of they've done, and usually we try to poke their eye out while we're telling that story, he teaches us that the sharpest, the shortest route to peace is often looking at ourselves first. Holding up a mirror and saying, what, what is the plank here? What is the motivation? What is the thing I'm holding on to? Maybe I need to deal with that first. And then and only then can we have the graciousness enough to go to that person with the speck and talk about the break in relationship and how to resolve it. Confessing wrong words and behavior will usually change the course of a conflict for the better. That's a pretty powerful idea. Confessing wrong words and behavior will usually change the course of a conflict for the better. There is something about coming into a charged atmosphere, a charged relationship, a tense atmosphere, and and a simple confession breaks the cycle of blaming. It brings the level way down to come in and say, you know what, before we get started in this, I just got to tell you, I've got a plank in my eye. And this is what it is. And I've seen it over and over and over again that when you will do that, sometimes, sometimes it will encourage the person you're talking to to reflect on their own plank. And the road towards peace begins. But see, if you want real peace, you have to go beyond just confessing sinful behavior. For genuine reconciliation and lasting change requires a transformed heart. Look again at 1215. It says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus narrows right in to what this guy's motivation was. He's teaching us to go beyond the surface, to behaviors. What is the root cause of the problem? Which, which, that's a real truth that Jesus teaches, but in that moment, he's not trying to teach a universal truth to everybody. It's a universal truth for everybody. He's looking at it right at the heart of this man. What is it that's motivating his conflict? And Jesus gets right to the center of it. And often what's motivating our conflict is some kind of worldly desire for us to have control in some way over something that compels our heart into some kind of action that is not usually one that honors the Lord. The truth is echoed in that, in the conflict that James talks about. James chapter 4 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And through these passages, God is teaching us that the key to experiencing genuine peace and reconciliation begins with recognizing, confessing, 
and getting rid of sinful desires that tend to rule our hearts. And you know, we're not very good at doing that on our own. I mean, no matter how much we hate our pride or our self-righteousness or our envy or our jealousy or our unforgiveness, we can't just say, okay, I'm done. Not going to do that anymore. We need the power of God. We need, it's impossible without the power of God. God can help. He sent his precious son to the cross to pave the way for the many sins that we commit against one another. Through faith in Christ, we can experience complete reconciliation with God. We read Colossians two weeks ago when we started this. Colossians 1.19 says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, all of God's fullness to dwell in Christ. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven. So, so God wants to reconcile all things on earth and in heaven. How is that done? It's the last part of the sentence. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When God forgives and redeems us, he gives us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from your idols and I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I will remove from your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God wants to do a new thing. God wants to transform our heart and the transformation of our heart is both an event and a process. When God saves us, he gives us this new heart and enables us to repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior. But that event triggers a lifelong process in which the Holy Spirit begins to slowly and steadily uh, and progressively transform our minds and hearts to help us to put off those old desires, those old idols, those old wants, and to put on the things that are pleasing to God. This is the process of God sanctifying our life. This is the process of our life being set apart for him. This event that has changed the trajectory of eternity and now this spirit that is continually wanting to work in us so that the prayer is really true. Lord, help me look more like you tomorrow than today. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to transform who we are. And here's the amazing thing. I think it's amazing. You, you might not because it, it's kind of hard. I think God often uses conflict to help in this transformation. I think God often uses conflict in this sanctifying process. That there's something in our heart and life that has got to be dealt with. There's some kind of root thing in some kind of conflict. We just keep hanging on to it and hanging on to it. Could it be that what God wants to do in there is to use that to shape you? to shape me, to look more like who he's called us to be. What if we began to think of it that way? What if every time we were in conflict, we, we saw it as an opportunity to identify some kind of worldly desire in my heart that's got to be switched? <laughs> what if it was an opportunity for me to not just look at how I've been offended, but to look at God, what's going on in me? What causes me to feel this way? What causes me to be offended this way? And as my sinful desires are exposed, to confess them to God, to seek his forgiveness, and ask him to be my contentment alone. Ask him to be my security alone. These humble and transparent confessions are far more likely to touch the heart of someone we've offended 
and then to move them to forgive and perhaps take a deeper look at themselves. It's pretty rare that we can come into some kind of conflict. Jesus, tell my brother to do this and have it work out. But when we begin with us, we say, God, what is it in me? Where's the plank in me? What do you want to do in me? So often it disarms. And here's the really cool thing. If you can get two people, two people who are believers in, in, in Christ, if you can get two people to confess to each other, to take ownership of their own planks, then peace and reconciliation can be just around the corner. And the natural response of conflict is to run away from it or to run headlong into it and blow it up. But Jesus has opened a path to take a different way. By his grace, we can take a humble view, Y-O-U turn, by facing up to the sinful desire of our hearts and confessing the log in our eye. Just as Jesus looked at the man and said, oh, buddy, watch out. you got a bigger problem than your brother. you got a problem with your heart. This radically different approach to conflict will bring honor to the Lord. It sets us free from the blame game and puts our feet on a path of peace and reconciliation and change. You know, each week I've sent you away with a couple challenges from our time together. Last week uh, I got an email from one of you that said, uh, hey, thanks a lot for that prayer and challenge about Helping uh, conflict uh, create unity. Thanks a lot. I've had lots of chances to work on unity in my life this week. I said, well, oh, I wrote back, do you want me to stop praying? No, no, keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. But it just reminded me that, that what I said in the very beginning, these, these words of Jesus, this is hard stuff. If you're going to take it seriously, if you're going to take this relationship thing real and, and not just, you know, I'm just kind of a part-time Jesus follower kind of deal. If you're going to really do this, it's just, it's going to mess things up. And it's going to be hard. But it's going to be so worth it. And so freeing. So here's my challenges for you this week. Making a U-turn means to go in a different direction. If you've got a conflict or a relationship in your life that you struggle or somebody that just kind of struggling with or you're not letting it go or, I mean, you know, a thousand things you can fill in the blank there. But, but it's probably whatever you're thinking about right now. How's it working for you? I'm kind of slow. But even I get to the place after a while that if I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again and it's not resolving... Maybe it's not my brother, Jesus. Maybe it's something I need to change in me. So here's the challenge, number one. And whatever that conflict is, could you think about, Lord, how could I take another route at this? Because the route I'm taking is just a brick wall. <laughs> how could I take another route? How could I make a U-turn? How could I go in a different direction? And begin to think about, Lord, I'm not even sure if I know what road to take the road I'm on isn't working here. Could you help me come up with a different direction? 
Challenge number two. And you'll see it on your screen there. What if you saw conflict as an opportunity to expose something God wants to work on in you? So often we think of conflict as, is how do I get, you know, my brother fixed? How do I find peace? What if, as Jesus was pointing out to the man, hey, watch out. He's saying, hey, buddy, you, you got an issue in you. What if we were to view conflict as a way that God is wanting to say, hey, Dad, watch out. What if we were to view the, an opportunity to expose something that God wants to work on in you? As we said, God's in this lifelong process of honing us and shaping us and, and creating us a clean heart and creating us to be of the mind of Christ. And, and so if we have this, this conflict, this relationship, this struggle, what could it be that God is wanting to take some of that and use it as an opportunity to shape us and to grow us to look more like him so that through our relationships we might take one step closer to being who he's called us. What if it's just not about brother? What if it's about me? God wanting to do a sanctifying work in my heart. Would you stand? Father, thanks for this day that you have given us. What a blessed day this morning has been to be in your presence, to, to proclaim words like, because he lives, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. What a friend we have. And a cross that ran red and a sins that became We have a hope that is so much bigger than any, than any other place, than any other ad campaign, than, than any other thing we can hold in our hands. We have a hope that is in things beyond today. Our hope is in you. But Father, we want to we look more like you because we want to live into the life you're wanting for us. We know, we say our hope is in you. We know you, wanna, you want better for us. You want us to look more like you. You want us to our, our hearts to more reflect you. So Lord, however you might speak to us this morning, in whatever relationship we might be struggling with or a person that might be struggling with or just whatever it is, I just trust you to work and that it could be that, that you're just tapping us on the shoulder and say, hey, watch out. This isn't so much about them as it is about me wanting to do a work in you. In fact, they might never change. But God, you want to change us. So we give you which is a scary prayer. We give you full reign to shape us, mold us, to look more like you, more tomorrow than we do today. Father, we, we go from this place to people that just need to breathe deep your joy. We have been in your presence. But you go with us. We don't leave you here. And you want to walk alongside of us. You want to help us be who you created us to be. So God, as we go, may you bless, not because we deserve that, but because we just need it. May your blessing rest upon us. May we see with your eyes, hear with your ears. May our heart 
continue to be shaped for you. And all of God's people said, amen. Lord bless you as you go.